from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Red Raiders uh, Podcast, brought to you weekly by the Lubbock Avalanche Journal Sports Department. I'm Don Williams. Covering Texas Tech football alongside our sports editor, Carlos Silva, Jr. And, Carlos, we have uh, week one in the books. Texas Tech, a 45-10 victor over Montana State on a very hot afternoon at Jones AT&T Stadium. They'll be back at Jones AT&T Stadium on Saturday, the Red Raiders will. But a little cooler since it's a 7 o'clock kickoff Saturday night against the UTEP Miners. And uh, where, where do you want to start today? I think everyone wants to know how good UTEP is, but they're not that good at this point. I know uh, everyone that's kind of looking at the schedule, they barely beat out a Houston Baptist team that uh, missed a point after attempt and uh, missed a field goal as well. So if uh, that kind of tells you where I'm at in terms of my, uh, I guess, uh, UTEP alum status, I guess that's where that goes. But I think the biggest thing, uh, obviously joking aside, uh, the biggest thing I took away from uh, the Montana State game was Four penalties. I know everyone may kind of look at that and say, oh, it's one game, but that's how you start these type of uh, trends, if you will, the good trends. And that's if you can stay under the double-digit penalties, that's certainly going to help you once the Big 12 play starts. Not only that, but then that gets you in a good mindset going into the into obviously the big games like in Arizona. Yes, UTEP's going to be another game where you're favored already at 35 points. I'm sure that's changed uh, up and down the last couple of days, but 35 was the last one I saw. And I think the way that Texas Tech played, especially with the inside receivers like a McLean Mannix, a Dalton Rigdon early on, I think that's very, very good in terms of what you saw in terms of the offense. I thought it was very efficient. I think it's the way that maybe – some people imagine the Cliff Kingsbury offense may have run just because you're trying to perfect something. But Cliff, obviously, uh, as Alan Bowman and some other players have alluded to, tried to kind of game plan too much sometimes and maybe had too many plays compared to you're just trying to perfect a couple of plays and then kind of play off of those and have some other plays ba- uh, other plays off kind of offshoot of that one base formation, which clearly worked for Texas Tech on their first three drives. Well, and it kind of bears repeating because I've heard this said a couple times, heard this said a couple times during August. I think it was, I can't remember if David Yost himself said it or if Alan Bowman said it, or maybe they both said it. And that is that one of David Yost's philosophies is he wants to run six plays a thousand times rather than a thousand things six times. Yeah. The idea being that you run a few things over and over and over and over until you can do it in your sleep and get very good at it. And that's really a Mike Leach philosophy because Leach was the same way. He always uh, kind of poo-pooed the notion that you out-schemed and out-X's nose and tricked everybody. He, his belief was that you get so good at what you do by doing it over and over that uh, you simply beat people when they know what's coming. And that's been a big part of his success. Another thing that interested me, you touched on the uh, success of those H inside receivers. Mm-hmm. Between Rigdon and Mannix and Xavier White, they caught 15 passes for 210 yards and two touchdowns. Could have been three mm-hmm. and White not fumbled on the doorstep. Correct. And I was wanting to ask David Yost this question yesterday, but uh, there – 
there are so many of us trying to ask him questions. Basically, Eric Kelly. I couldn't squeeze. Shout out, Eric Kelly. Yes. I couldn't. I couldn't squeeze in this one. I was yeah. curious, David Yost philosophy in terms of ball distribution. Hmm. You know, Mike Leach was always a big proponent of. He wanted. He had four receivers, and he wanted all four of them to get about an equal number of catches. And so, what we saw Saturday was a disparity with catches by those H inside receivers. And I was curious if that was going to be – if that was just kind of a one-game anomaly or if um, – and, and and Yost wants all his guys getting the ball, the ball about the same time or if that's something that could continue going forward where there is, uh, you know, one position that tends to, to – tends to see the ball a whole lot. And it could be true just because those guys get so many quick screens, as we saw with, you know, Dalton Rigdon early built up those uh, – he had four catches in about the first seven or eight plays of the game. Yeah, and I know he kind of alluded to the fact that just based on that fact, the completion percentage is going to be higher for most of your quarterbacks. So you kind of want to see some other things. But I can't remember if uh, if maybe you missed this, Don, but he did mention the fact that he did like the fact that they did have – uh, several guys that did catch the ball. I believe they had ten or eleven. Let me see. One, they had two, ten. Three. They had ten in by early second quarter. I remember uh, seeing that or hearing that. eleven or early in the by, yeah. They had There's eleven, and then uh, two. Ten of them early in the second by yeah. early second quarter. So technically, if if you really want to go this route, you had. 11, as I mentioned, but two of those catches, one were by Armand Shine and another one was by Kashawn Carter. Travis Koontz had two. Dante Thompson had two. Everyone else had more than three or four catches after that. Of course, uh, we talked about the H receivers. Dalton Rigdon was six. TJ Vasher had six, so that was good to see him kind of get himself going early on and made some really good catches going into that game. But I think just overall, Don, the biggest thing was just I thought the tempo was good. I think uh, – just having the four penalties I think is good just because it kind of starts you off on that good trend in terms of this is how we're going to play, this is how we're not going to beat ourselves, which certainly they did not. Yes, you did have that early penalty. I think uh, there was a question on Twitter, which we'll get to. Obviously, we have some Twitter questions that we'll answer about. a. I, I believe it was a crackback or I guess a kind of one of those where it's a, a – a player that's probably blindside not, block. Yeah, yeah. Blindside and we have block. a question about that on Twitter, yeah. so we'll get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. But th- just that, and then I guess just the running game altogether, just seeing Armand Shine kind of really step up his game. And then, of course, you had 255 total from those three guys. Uh, yeah, Shine uh, to John Henry and Sir Roderick Thompson, and then Jax Welsh got in there. M- McLean Maddox had a couple. Uh, Alan Bowman obviously had his one rushing touchdown off a uh, RPO, and then Dalton Rigdon had a – a rush for seven yards, but I think just the balance, the tempo of the offense. Yes, uh, they can go a little bit faster, according to Bowman and uh, and uh, Coach Yost. But I think uh, just overall, the things I take away: not a lot of penalties, which is something that really plagued this team last year. Because I can't remember who said it, but typically, if you have more than a hundred yards of penalties, you're kind of giving up a touchdown, and that's what would happen last year. You'd get. 10 to 12 penalties for over 100-something yards, and then you're kind of putting yourself in a bad position. I can't remember, and I think someone even kind of mentioned it to David Yost, and he kind of brought it up, but the fact that they were not in third and longs, the fact that you have that and you're ahead of the – kind of ahead of the sticks, your running backs are getting good yardage. Yes, that's not going to happen every game, but I think the fact that you got off to that good of a start I think can really be good for Texas Tech. Um. 
So let's see. Before we get into questions, sure. Just got kind of a quick note on uh, UTEP coming to town Saturday night. Mm-hmm. It's been a uh, obviously a pretty emotionally devastating time for UTEP when you consider the uh, the mass shooting. Yep. A couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and then uh, the miners also lost Luke Laufenberg, mm-hmm. the son of former Cowboys quarterback Babe. Laufenberg, who passed away of cancer at age 21, I believe. They still list him on the roster, but uh, that's a program that's had a ton to deal with emotionally here over the past month. And it's funny you mention that because the the first home game against Houston Baptist actually had a game where it was hashtag El Paso Strong, so all the there was a bunch of stuff that was going towards that, as you mentioned, the the mass shooting. And then uh, they actually had the dedication to Luke Laufenberg, so his family was there, and they dedicated that. Uh, game to him, and then of course gave him his jersey. So a lot of emotion on that game, just to kind of play off that. Yeah, so it'll be interesting, kind of what frame of mind they are coming in here. Okay, let's. Uh, I guess move on to the questions. Jeff Schmucker Smicker asked, "What is the biggest difference you notice about the football program right now from previous regime? Not better, not worse, just biggest difference between the Matt Wills." Uh, era and the uh, Cliff Kingsbury era. I'm going to differ from you, Don, in the sense that. Why don't you just let this season happen and not just try and make it a this or this? Like, I, I get it. People, there are going to be people that like Cliff, and there are going to be people that like and Matt it, Wells it, because it, he's it, different. It, it, I get it. Say I, not better, he said yeah. not better, not worse. No. He said just the biggest difference. What's the biggest difference that jumps out to, to you? I, 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 penalties. I, I'll tell you. Pe- here, penalties. Here, here's, here's mine is just the difference in the personalities of Matt Wells and Cliff Kingsbury in the sense that Matt Wells is so out there in the public and he is so involved in every aspect of being a head coach. He is uh, involved from the standpoint of public speaking and public appearances and being comfortable at that. He is... uh, it's different in seeing all the handshakes that he does everywhere he goes. Um, and it's also, I think you see, you saw a difference in the sideline on game day last week um, in that he is, and he said this, he's, he's on the headsets with the offensive coaches. He's on the headsets with the defensive coaches. He does not call plays, and he, he does not call the offensive plays, and he does not call, make defensive calls. Well, he believes that his role is to uh, be thinking ahead, I think. Managing, game management. You know, game management, management, managing timeouts, watching the clock, all those sorts of things. And um, that that was the biggest thing that I noticed versus, um, you know, Cliff obviously is very uh, adamant that he was the guy who was going to call the plays. And, uh, you know, difference – in that I think Cliff was very involved, obviously, with the offense and was less involved with the defense except for that one year when Kirby kind of told him to go be more involved with the defense. I think that's interesting. Uh, certainly the the one thing, as I kind of alluded to for the Montana State game, the penalties just kind of stick out to me only because it's something that's been mentioned. It's something that discipline, you kind of talk about that. You brought a strength and conditioning program that was supposed to help that, and it didn't. Again, this is maybe just the 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 first year type, just kind of watching this from a first game standpoint. But I think uh, the offense is the same. I think the fact that you have a, as much as I hate to use the term, but you have a head coach 
you don't necessarily have a offensive coordinator as a head coach. Mm-hmm. I think like, that's your like, biggest difference. Like Leach, yeah. yeah, so I, I think that's the biggest difference is you have a guy that understands his role. He knows that he has an offensive coordinator that will um, run. Has been an offensive coordinator for a yeah. long time. And not only that, but, I, I mean, if you really want to kick it back, Don, now that I really think about it and kind of had some time to uh, kind of think it through, Matt Wells got very lucky in the sense that he brought basically his whole coaching staff here compared to where if you do something like this, you're going to maybe have to wait for someone. Uh, if, if, if you want to get this offensive coordinator, this defensive coordinator, do you have to wait for a bowl game? Do you have to do all this? He literally got his whole coaching staff that he has trusted for the last several years at Utah State, got his strength and conditioning coach back. I mean, he literally has a turnkey program when he got here, and I think that – is maybe a little bit understated, or maybe some people don't really think about that. Yeah, that. Un- well, yeah. Here, well, here, here's the thing. Kind of follow up on that. I mean, he had, uh, he had, he had seven or eight guys hired in the first week that he was here, and he, he made that almost a condition of his hiring. Yeah, DC and OC. I know, remember he's, that. He's made it very clear that uh, that when he told when he and Kirby talked, he said that you're not just getting me, or you're not just hiring me, you're hiring a program. Yeah, he, he knew very well. He wanted his people. He did not want. To and and a lot of fans held that against him. Oh, we're getting a bunch of guys yeah. from U, who just coached at Utah State. Yeah, but Matt, that's how Matt Wells wanted it. He yeah. wanted guys that who who already knew his system, knew his program, knew how he operated, and guys that believed in him, than guys that he believed in, and that enabled them to kind of that enabled them to hit the ground running. Um, let's see. JS asked, "Do you think Yost will expand the play calling?" When going into Big 12 play, Let me, I'll, I'll take that in real first. Sure. You think about it for a second, sure. Carlos. I, I'm going to tie it back into what we just talked about a moment ago, where he says that we'd run, rather run six plays a thousand times than run a thousand different things six times. So, uh, short answer to that question then, do I think David Yost will expand the play calling when he gets to the Big 12? Not dramatically so. Now, I think there are things in the playbook that you didn't see on Saturday because of the defense that you saw on Saturday. I mean, it, it will it will be adjusted week to week based on other teams' defensive tendencies and whether they – and the coverages that they play. But I think the offense that you see from David Yost is pretty much the offense that he runs. We, you know, we saw it – the things that, he, that we heard about all offseason are the things that we saw on Saturday. You know, controlled quick passing – tight end is on the field every play of the game, which mm-hmm. it was, and those sorts of things. So I don't think that he's going to – you're going to see a bunch of – you're going to see double reverses and that sort of thing. Will they throw it deep more? Yeah, because you're seeing a lot of uh, too deep shell coverage from Utah State that you may not see from different teams in the Big 12. I don't know if it's going to be different, Don, but I think uh, kind of to what you said at the end of that, I think they're going to get more long passes just because of the way that the defenses are going to be going against them. Uh, Alan Bowman did a great job of taking what the defense gave him, and they gave him all these screen passes, and he was more than happy to kind of dump it off to an Armand Shine or a Sir Roderick Thompson or a McLean Mannix, a Dalton Rigdon. Again, we can keep going. Xavier White was a guy that really kind of found the middle of the – kind of found the middle of the field and was able to kind of run wild at that point. So you you just have to give credit to Alan Bowman and the offense for not really taking the the chances, if you will, if that makes sense. Like they're taking the right play when they need to early on. And I think, again, it's just small little trends, positive trends, the the non-penalties, 
taking the smart play. And I, and frankly, just in terms of what Bowman was able to do, I can't remember what the down was or what was going on, but when uh, Bowman fumbled the ball because I guess he was looking somewhere else and they snapped the ball, the fact that he just threw it out instead of just kind of running around and, you know, maybe losing five or six yards or who knows what happens. Trying to make something out of nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he literally has it in his head that just kill the ball, just be ready for it instead of – I know Cliff was all about guys that can make plays or try and extend plays. Sometimes there is some value to just kind of letting it go, play the next play, because certainly their defense was playing very well, getting those four straight uh, three and outs to kind of start the start the game and all. But I, I certainly think that's a little bit of a positive there in terms of Bowman. Jason uh, Baumgartner asked, what does Wills have to do? What does Wills do to have a more disciplined team thus far, in your opinion? Now, and I, th- I think the force of his personality, that he is sort of a no-nonsense guy, helps. Although, uh, I would caution, though, in making too much of uh, – and I thought they looked very good. They looked very disciplined on mm-hmm. Saturday, and they only committed four penalties. But I would caution, though, in making too much of that because – you know, you go back and you look at the penalties last year. Matt Will's team at Utah State last year averaged a tick below eight penalties per game for seventy yards for seventy-one yards. Mm-hmm. Cliff Kingsbury's team last year averaged eight penalties per game for seventy-four yards. Mm-hmm. They were nearly identical uh, in in uh, penalties per game last year. Matt Will's team was one seventeenth, and Texas Tech was one twentieth. And at penalty yards per game, Will's team was one fourteenth last year, and Cliffs was one twenty-four. So uh, that penalty-wise, uh, that was a team last year that that he his team last year at Utah State committed just almost identical number of penalties and yards as Cliffs teams did. It's just fun what you can do with stats, isn't it? <laughs> so I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, no, I, no but, that's the thing. But, yeah, I think I get it was you. a question about Matt, about yeah. Matt Will's. And it's, when he got here was this guy's team committed as many penalty, penalties as Cliffs did, but we didn't see that last week. I think the, the, the other thing that you can kind of think, too, is he's coaching them hard but loving them hard. I know he uses that term a lot, but I think he's not the player's buddy. Like He knows he is the head coach, and he knows that there is some sort of uh, – I can't think of the way to disciplinarian. say Disciplinarian. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's kind of a disciplinarian. Again, I'm not saying anything towards the previous staff. I'm just – this is what I can kind of gather from at least just watching some of the videos, kind of obviously talking to the players and seeing what they say. It just seems like he's more of a – I don't even know if sticker is the right word, but he is a huge propo- – he huge proponent of doing things the right way and if you don't do them the way that he knows that he's been doing the last several years that have made him successful he's either going to make you do it or you find a way to you find a way to do it or maybe you're not going to be here yeah well and here's another thing uh crossed my mind i mean they, how many times have we heard him say they're going to focus on pre-snap and post-whistle penalties yeah. they're basically they're, all offseason they're they're, they're, yeah. they're okay with uh penalties that are committed uh um if you're hustling. Yeah. But uh, the thing that they really want to eliminate is uh, pre-snap, post-whistle. And I thought it was interesting on Saturday. You didn't see a whole lot of post-whistle celebration after big plays. Yeah. A lot of look-at-me stuff that mm-hmm. kind of turns people off. Uh, Clayton Malkowski asked, could Tech have a defense in the top half of the Big 12? Waiting to see how they fare against Khalil Tate. I think you're right, Clayton. We'll, we'll yeah. know a lot more about uh, – 
the Tech defense after they faced Khalil Tate, and speaking of, I don't know what happened at Arizona last year. You, Khalil Tate goes from what about twelve, thirteen hundred yards rushing the year before to two hundred, three hundred yards rushing. Been telling last you, Don. Year. Been telling That's you, gracious. coaching. Um, he wants him to be a pocket passer. How do you not use that kind of weapon when you have him? Could that, Tech have a top? Could Tech have a defense in the top half of the Big Twelve? I think it's doable. You know, you look at last year total defense. Uh, had Tech improved by 44 yards per game in total defense, they would have been fifth in the Big 12. Had they improved by 47 yards per game, they would have been fourth in the Big 12 in total defense. And it's even a narrower gap in scoring defense. If you improved by four points per game last year, they would have been fifth in the Big Mm -hmm. 12 in scoring defense. So... You know, again, you improve by 44 yards per game and four points per game in your top half of the Big 12. I think the one important factor is the yards after carry. I know Keith Patterson has made a huge deal about that. Yards after contact. Uh, yards, yards after, after contact, contact, sorry. Yards yeah. after carry. Yak, basically yak. So I think that's been the biggest thing that I'll see if if the defense is improved. It's that they're making sound tackles and they're not allowing – uh, the offense to obviously kind of make extra plays, and that's really going to, at least for me, kind of tell me if they're going to be in the top half of the Big 12 because, I mean, let's just be honest, Don, there's going to be a lot of yards that are going to be given up by defenses in the Big 12. It's just a matter of can you get those stops, and I think that's kind of the emphasis of Keith Patterson and company. You're just trying to get stops and keep them in front of you. If you have to, kind of get these 10 to 12 uh, play drives and as he kind of mentioned, I believe he told us on Tuesday, it's like the, the more plays an offense has to run, the more chance a defense has to make a play because there's more chance for a mistake to be made by the offense or there's more of a chance for a defense to kind of figure stuff out. Well, and here's another thing. He's talked to, we've heard Keith Patterson say more than – Keith Patterson and Matt Wells both say more than once in August and again after the, after the game Saturday was uh, they were happy with the tackling. And so if you can yeah. uh, clean up sloppy tackling, get guys on the ground when you have first opportunity, uh, you're, you're obviously going to be much better. So far, the signs of that are, are good. Uh, Bert Pope asked, uh, understand that had Jordan Brooks used his hands instead of his shoulder, the blindside block would not have drawn a flag. Is that correct? Uh, That's Bert, on you. Ostensibly, yeah. yes. Yes, that is correct. Um Changing the rule this year, they're trying to eliminate blindside blocks. They're kind of keep. They're trying to keep defenseless guys from getting their heads knocked yeah. off. The rule reads that they're trying to eliminate quote attacking an opponent with forcible contact when they are when again you have a blindside crack mm-hmm. back shot at them. I was going and uh, I'll. Quote here a little bit from a story that was that James Kropia did in the uh, the Oregonian, and he quoted the SEC and Sunbelt coordinator of officials Steve Shaw this summer, saying we did not dictate a technique that had to be used. It just can't be attacking with forcible contact. That allows a coach. If he wants to teach a block with extended hands, if he wants to teach a screen block, special teams coaches have all kinds of names for screen blocks. That will give the coaches a lot of flexibility, but it will eliminate this blow-up type play with blindside blocks. Um, and again, it's a bit part of this big emphasis on player safety and 
Shaw says, if we got open hand blocks, that's okay. That's not a forcible. If you look at a video, most of these blocks, if you shove the defender off their pursuit angle, they're not going to make the tackle. We saw some that there was actually almost no contact. The player raised his hand and screened the defender. We saw a play where a guy blocked two guys by screening them now. So, again, they're trying to basically get players in the position that Jordan Brooks was in Saturday to just screen the guy off, wall him mm-hmm. off, use, use the open hand extended yeah. contact so that uh, you don't have uh, a big as hit. many. The, the huge hit, the yeah. big leaders. Yeah, the, which of course the, the fans like, you know, but, the but yeah, the the fans like it. But of course, the the whole reason they're doing this is for player safety because you don't want a guy that's going to get decleated, like you said, could get a concussion. Or depending on how things happen, uh, we're at the twenty four minute mark, Don. So we're at the uh, lightning round at this point. Uh, three more. Is Alan okay. Bowman, the best quarterback in the conference. That's from Michael Macon. Uh, Brock Purdy's pretty good at Iowa State. I would Brock say Charlie a, Brewer's pretty good. I mean, I'm not saying Charlie that, Brewer. Charlie Burr, thank you. Jeez, I'm terrible. Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger. And the, guy that you, right. and the guy that you haven't mentioned, the guy I'd say is the best quarterback in the conference, at least based on first week, Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma. Yeah, imagine, right. imagine that. The guy transfers to Oklahoma and he's the best quarterback around. i tell you what, here's the thing. There's, I think you can make a case for five quarterbacks in the conference. One's yeah. Alan Bowman, one's Jalen Hurts. One's Brock Purdy, one's Sam Ellinger, and one is Charlie Brewer. The thing about the conference this year is you have five teams that are sort of the haves of quarterback play. Yep. You have the other five teams are have-nots of quarterback play. Tech, it's a bonus for Tech because you're in the group with the haves. I think Alan Bowman could be that guy. And I don't know that there's a – in that group uh, of five teams that have good quarterbacks, I don't know that there's one that is a hands-down, this guy's clearly the best – I, th- I think from week to week, any of those five guys can have games that um, any of those five ga- guys can have games that you can say um, um, he could be the best quarterback in the Big Twelve. I, I would think, say out I of think all the thing them. that sets him. I think the thing that for me that sets Jalen Hurts apart is he's he's such a dual threat guy. Yeah, that's he, and, he, and that's what I was going to say. He, he, he he's certainly the most dynamic. Yeah, he's certainly the most dynamic out of all those guys. Everyone versus, else you kind of look at versus Ellinger, Ellinger's a guy who uh, he can run it, but. <laughs> can run it. Big brawny guy, he's but he's gotten hurt. Best, he's gotten hurt. He's not and he's all, not always the best thrower of yeah. the football. Yeah, but certainly if if I had to guess. Alan Bowman certainly up there in terms of accuracy with all those quarterbacks, but Jalen Hurts, I would have to say, is probably tops at, at this point just because of the guy that's kind of running the offense. Lincoln Riley's got a pretty good pedigree in terms of the last two quarterbacks that he's kind of dealt with. I'm pretty sure uh, Jalen Hurts will be in the conversation for that type of award as well going into the season. But Alan Bowman, I think in terms of uh, if he can keep the offense going the way that David Yost wants, I think he could certainly lead the country in passing yards, which he's doing right now. Uh, just because of, as we said, it's all about screens. It's all about just quick passes. Get uh, defenses kind of just tired or tap them out, as a lot of the players have talked about. And I think uh, he's certainly at least in that top five conversation, as as you said. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, back on Texas Tech quarterbacks, Brady asked, what do you make of uh, Jackson Tyner getting in before Jet Duffy? I'll feel free. I mean, for, for me, Matt Wells kind of said it. Tyner was practicing better the last two weeks. I yeah. mean, nah, I'm going to go with that because, I mean, he's just so he, – he's he's not I'm, – I'm trying to think of the word, but I guess he's more forthright than we've had before. He's not going to, you know, kind of say something. I mean, he when Coach Matt Wells says something, I kind of take it 
as as it is. He said Jackson Tyner practiced better than Jed Duffy over the last two weeks, but it's still a good competition between both of them, and I think that's really what it is. It's just they're going to battle back and forth for that backup quarterback spot. Whoever plays better is going to get it. Yeah, he said body of work the last two weeks, and he said it'll be body of work again this week based on what they see in practice. Uh, difference being, he said, now that they're in season, Alan Bowman's going to get all the work with the ones and a good bit of the work with the twos, and so it's uh, kind of hard for uh, Jet Duffy and Jackson Tyner to make up much of a difference because they're not going to get a whole lot of snaps. Um, I think the I think what it comes back to is this staff, like Cliff Kingsbury's staff, recognizes that Jet has talent, but his decision making yes. and judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, scares them at times and coaches, critical times at critical times yes. and coaches being coaches uh, they you know a tur- couple of big turnovers can lose football games for you and I think that's and the he thing has about, well, like, and, yeah, and, and he again has. It, it's just facts like he he's gotten you back into games but then he's also lost you games you know and I think that's what uh, and I think that's what they continue to see that Cliff's yeah. staff also saw was uh, and it scares them. They, yeah. they worry about uh, – they know he can make big plays, mm-hmm. but they also worry about uh, his propensity for making plays that kill you. And I guess just last one before we get to this uh, last question from you, Don. Uh, I guess in terms of Duffy, in terms of what they want to get done with the offense, quick passes, I think he could be efficient with it. I think it's just a matter of, like you said, the decision-making. Yeah. Uh, Your seven days asked, how's that left tackle? Uh, And I think he's referring – how's that LT? I assume he's referring to Terrence Steele. And uh, Mm -hmm. here's the answer. We don't really know. (laughs) Matt Matt Wells is is not real forthcoming with injury information in season. That's one thing we've learned. It's a little bit more than we've had, though. It's not day to day. Well, here, well, we have seen uh, we've seen Terrence in pads. We saw yeah. him in pads a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Um, also saw you know saw Lonzel Gilmore in pads yeah. uh, yesterday. I haven't heard his name in a while. So I think they, I think both those guys are probably close, um, but can't can't give you a definitive thumbs up or thumbs down on whether Terrence Steele will play this week or not. If I had to guess, Arizona would be the the target day just because of the. The opponent, and you certainly don't. I mean, you obviously want to get reps in for those guys, but the thing is, too, is you don't want to get them hurt if they're still trying to work back from what they've had. And sure. I think that's certainly yeah. the the biggest thing. Is yes, you can. Give, can you bring back Terrence Steele early? Yes, you can. But I mean, if you get him hurt, then it kind of defeats the whole point of trying to bring him back because he's one of your better offensive linemen, which is something that Matt Wells and all, or at least most of the players that we've spoken to, have said. All righty. Well, that's all the questions we have, at least all the serious ones. We also got a couple of sarcastic questions. <laughs> I, I, I actually like uh, my, my favorite one is uh, when's the uh, – let me see here. Actually, I, I do have one more. Uh, which player surprised you the most this past week as far as impact goes? Which player as far as impact goes? Uh, and surprised you. Surprised me. Which player surprised me as far as impact goes? Um... <laughs> It's tough for me because I mean you can make a you can make the case for Armand Shine because he came in from Utah. You could also make the case for Xavier White, even though everyone has been singing his praises the last couple weeks of the off season. But uh, man, if I had to think about it, probably Armand Shine would be the one that surprised me the most, just because he showed something that a lot of coaches and even 
he himself had mentioned he didn't know he had the speed to kind of <laughs> break away. Uh, everyone was joking they didn't know if he was going to get caught at the end of his 69-yard uh, touchdown run, but he certainly didn't. And I think uh, the fact that you get a guy that can go for 100-plus yards, score a couple touchdowns, or just kind of be that battering ram, I think that is certainly something that Texas Tech is going to like from the Utah transfer. Well, okay, I'll give you a two-part answer. Uh, I'll say right here. I'll, I'll tell you one. Feel Austin free. McNamara, the punter. Oh, yeah. No, here, that's here's true. The, now, here's the thing. He, Austin McNamara was second team USA Today All-America coming yep. out of Arizona last year, but his average was 41 to 42 yards, and he steps out there Saturday and uh, has a long of 57 yards. He averaged 48, and he would average more than 48, but I think his first or second punt was into a short field where he only, you know, punted 37 because that's all you had room to punt it was 37. Yeah. Um, and so knew this kid came here with a reputation, but wow. Um, to average 48 yards, have a 57-yarder, and to have the kind of hang time that he had, I didn't know that that was coming. So that was a surprise. Now I'd say – I'll say collectively the H inside receiver position surprised me. None of those individually surprised me. You, you know – McLean Mannix, McLean Mannix is a proven guy. Knew they're rigged in a white based on everything you've heard were, were guys who are kind of on the come, yeah. developing. Mm-hmm. But uh, to have 15 catches for 210 yards out of that position was a surprise. And then I'll throw this one out there. Adam Adam Beck, a surprise at that uh, spur kind of outside linebacker safety position. Surprise only in the sense really that we saw him play more than we expected. And uh, he kind of makes the most of it, has five tackles, a half a tackle for loss, a pass breakup. So uh, he gets a little – he got a lot of playing time because Evan Rambo was banged up yeah. and um, finishes as the fourth leading tackler. As a so quick little as a quick little UTEP preview because we didn't really have one. We were kind of answering everyone's questions. Brandon Jones is pretty good, dual-threat quarterback for your UTEP minors. Trayvon Hughes, a former linebacker turned running back at a – Nice game, had a hundred yards, a couple touchdowns, showed some good, uh, showed some good speed. Replaced. He's, he's, I was going to say he's a guy that was running back in high school, fourteen hundred yard rusher in the Metroplex. Yep. Actually played linebacker for the Miners when he was a sophomore. Yep. Then they moved him back to running back. He's yep. still around thirty five pounds. He mm-hmm. about, got bigger. Only had about three hundred yards last year, but had what one forty four, one forty five the other night. Uh, so yeah, big turn. Yeah, one yeah one forty four, two touchdowns. And you talked about the kicking game. Their field goal kicker made three field goals last week. Wasn't too bad. Wasn't too bad. Here's an interesting aspect too. I mean, all the this is a coaching staff coming from UTEP that is very well known in Lubbock and at Texas Tech. Matt Wallerstedt. Matt Wallerstedt coaches their defensive line. He was on the tech staff, of course. He remembers D.C. Joe Robinson is the special teams coordinator, worked for Cliff. And mm-hmm. then a whole bunch of other guys that uh, are, are well-known to Matt Wells, that he has either been on the same team at the time they were at Utah State or he's had uh, guys that he's coached with. There's about you know five or six guys on that staff that have – some connection either to Texas Tech or to Matt Wells. Yeah. Well, to make this quick, Texas Tech should win this one. <laughs> Probably. I'm, I'm going to make that quick. Yeah. It, it, Tech better win this, and they better win it handily. Otherwise, uh, all the uh, goodwill that Matt Wells has built up over the last uh, few months and last week uh, will dissipate. El Paso hurry. will be partying, though, if they do win that one. Just What's know that? that. El Paso will be partying if that does oh, happen. No doubt. <laughs> all right. I guess that will put a wrap on it. 
for, yep. uh, for this week. We appreciate everybody on short notice sending us a whole bunch of questions. Yeah, and then don't forget, uh, we got Brett Bloomquist from the El Paso Times. Uh, that's the reason I kind of made everything so quick in terms of the preview. We talk uh, Brandon Jones, Trayvon Hughes, and kind of everyone else, including some of the good wide receivers that they've got that showed some big playability in their first game. So Carl's talking to Brett Bloomquist. That'll be coming up next. Brett's a West Texas sports writing legend, so you want to stay, stay tuned for that. Angelo State. And then we'll... So, Here's that conversation, and then uh, Carlos and I will speak to you again soon. And hello, everyone. Welcome to the second portion of the Red Raider podcast. I'm Carlos Silva, the sports editor at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. So you know what that means. We've got a beat writer from the opposing team, that being Brett Bloomquist of the El Paso Times, a buddy that I've known for a very long time. So, Brett, long time no talk, right? <laughs> Indeed, I guess it was back uh, at the end of basketball season last time we talked. That is true. You you did quote me uh, being a guy covering uh, Texas Tech as they were looking to get a national championship, first one since uh, Texas Western. Yep, yep, and uh, came pretty close there. But yeah, the the beat writer who went to UTEP. Uh, <laughs> so it was fun times. Absolutely. Well, we'll see how fun times they are for UTEP and Texas Tech. Of course, that's why we're talking. want to get a little bit of info from you in terms of what UTEP has been. I have a little bit of small uh, knowledge just because of Dana Dimel, the former offensive coordinator at Kansas State who switched over to UTEP. Of course, they got uh, a little bit of struggles last year, only had one win. So they've already matched their win total with that win over HBU, uh, Houston Baptist in week one. I guess, what did you see from UTEP that I guess either was different from last year or was it just a matter of they just got lucky against Houston Baptist? Well, playing a worse team, you know, that that, that helps. Um, yeah. Only two points worse than UTEP, but UTEP's offense is a lot better. They've, uh, they've kind of upgraded there. They went and uh, got you know, had one receiver really emerge, got a graduate transfer receiver for who was competing to be the number one at Arizona, and then uh, they got a, a true freshman who was being recruited by some pretty significant schools who didn't make his SAT scores in time, and yeah. by the time he finally made his SAT, UTEP still had a scholarship, so he's probably a little you know higher-level kid than they're used to getting or that they could realistically expect to. So, uh, and you know, I think they finally figured out what they want to do at quarterback with uh, Brandon Jones there. And I, I think they just, in general, in the long, offensive line's healthy. They were hurt last year. I mean, three of their five guys were hurt last year who are healthy now. So, you know, they've gotten a lot better on the line. They've got better receivers. So they're better on offense. The challenge is, is defensively. It's uh, they lost a lot of playmakers and. We're really having trouble in the secondary against a, a you know a pretty good offensive team, but probably not one nearly as good as Tech. And UTEP had trouble getting lined up, so that that's going to be the challenge this week. In terms of Brandon Jones, what can people expect from him? I saw him throw the ball a little bit, but it looks like he's got a, a little bit of dual threat capability there. Yeah, and you know it was hard to tell that in camp because they kind of had a non-tackle in camp, but he looked you know pretty good running the option yesterday. Um, you know, he's just steady. He's a leader type. Uh, he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, but, yeah. you know, he's got pretty good intangibles. He uh, he doesn't throw a pretty ball, but he usually makes the right read. He did have that pick six the other day. But he generally, you know, gets gets the figures out who he needs to get the ball to and, and tries to get it there. So he's just, he's just pretty steady, and I think he provides a lot of leadership. So, you know, th- they like him. Um, and, 
you know, I think it, you know, probably settling on him probably it has helped a lot. You know, he, he kind of knows he's the guy now and they appear to be set to go with him. Yeah, obviously, Kai Loxley was the uh, potential starter at that point. But then, of course, some legal issues kind of changed things. And then uh, you kind of mentioned losing some uh, star power as well on the offense. Uh, Q Wadley, uh, who was looking to be their uh, starting running back, Quadriz Wadley, uh, Wadley, pardon me, obviously got hurt. It looked like Trayvon Hughes, a converted linebacker to running back, kind of stepped in and kind of really had a good game against uh, Houston Baptist. I guess what what can you say about him and what did he kind of show you going into this year? Yeah, he uh, he's always been good when he's been healthy. He just when he's played running back, he hadn't been healthy a lot, and he's uh he's moved around so many times. He came as a running back, switched to linebacker, then you know last year was back at running back, and then in in spring ball he started off as a linebacker, and then they moved him back to running back. Uh, he's a big guy. I mean, he's a he's he's a load, and uh, you know a big a big running back. He wasn't supposed to have that explosiveness, but he, he broke a couple of runs. You know, he's sort of, I think, ideally a change of pace back, but he looked pretty good as the number one load carrier last week. I mean, he had some big holes to run through, but he's a, he's a hard guy to bring down. He runs hard. He's big. And, uh, you know, he, he sort of looks to initiate contact sometimes. But, uh, boy, a great, you know, his first career start. He had averaged, you know, last year five or six yards per carry, but – uh you know, he had a good per carry average. He just, but, you know, it was kind of the first time for him to get a significant amount of time there, and he's still kind of battling injuries. So he's good to go now. And uh, I was sort of surprised by how well he played. You know, they uh, were sort of looking, you know, El Paso's all time leading rushers are number three running back. Yeah. He was a true freshman. I sort of thought he might be emerging right away, but, um, you know, they didn't even use him yesterday. And then they're back up, another kid from El Paso, mm-hmm. who had left the team and transferred to Georgia Southern because of family reasons. Those family reasons changed. Yeah. He ended up coming back to Utah and joined the team two weeks ago, Josh Fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he looked really good yesterday in limited limited carries, but he was averaging six yards a carry. So, you know, I think they feel pretty good. And running back was the big question mark, but it looked pretty good in week one. In terms of receiving, I guess, is it a little flash in the pan, or was Treshawn Wolf about as good as he was with his two receptions and 96 yards, one being an 80-yarder? Yeah, and he also had a, a good run on a reverse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, I remember thinking he should throw the ball away when he had a chance, and he ends up yeah. making a lot of yards out of it. He, uh, you know, he, he, wasn't a, he didn't do much last year as a freshman, and then this year he just sort of, you know, he emerged in spring, and they said he graded out the highest every day. And so he sort of gave him a clear-cut number one coming in. And, uh, you know, and he played like it the other night. And then they've got those, you know, the transfer, Cooper, and then that uh, freshman I was talking about, um, at Jacob Cowing. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, with, with Wolf there at the head, they sort of suddenly have three pretty good receivers and, and you know, a guy who they who identified as their number one. And – he was Wolf was open for like two more touchdowns that were just barely overthrown. One of them went off his fingertips. It would have been another seventy-five yard touchdown. So uh, yeah, I mean they, pre- they were pretty excited that he was just open. You know they haven't had receivers open downfield in the past. So I think you know that's one thing that gives them a lot of optimism on offense. Once again, you're listening to the Red Raider Podcast. I'm Carlos Silva, the sports editor for the Lubbock Avalanche Journal, talking to El Paso Times sports writer Brett Bloomquist. You can follow him at Brett, B-R-E-T, Bloomquist, B-L-O-O-M-Q-U-I-S-T. 
couple more for you before I let you go, Brett. In terms of the defense, I guess, what, what have you kind of seen from from that in terms of if anything's even changed or maybe there's a guy that's kind of stepped up? Uh, Justin Rogers seemed to kind of be the one that kind of stood out to me, at least kind of watching some tape on, on what they were able to do against Houston Baptist. Yeah, you know, he, uh, you know, for the, he's a senior now. His first couple of years here, they had two great corners and he was playing corner. Those two corners both got NFL shots and Nick Needham's now with the Dolphins yep. made their practice squad. So, uh, and he was sort of the best backup on the team by far. And then finally, I think last year, they kind of realized that was silly and moved him over to safety. And, you know, he, he's been excellent. I mean, he's, he's the leader of the defense and he recovered a fumble yesterday. Uh, you know, their corners, they're having to start completely over there and they've got a junior college transfer, a graduate transfer from USC and then one guy in the system, a third year sophomore, redshirt sophomore. So, you know, that's in the secondary, you know, the corners were the problems in the opening game. They just, they had trouble matching Houston Baptist tempo and, you know, I imagine actually they'll probably try to run as fast as Texas Tech goes, but, you know, I'm sure Tech's doing it with a whole lot better personnel than Houston Baptist had. UTEP just had trouble covering, and that's, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be the challenge that, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to imagine, you know, as many, as bad as they looked against Houston Baptist defensively, it's, it's going to be a lot harder against Tech, so they've got to make a big improvement. So I guess when you kind of look at Texas Tech, I know you've covered a couple of the games that UTEP has played. Clearly, Texas Tech is still the same kind of team. I know everyone thinks it's a little bit different with Cliff Kingsbury now with the Arizona Cardinals. But I guess uh, I believe you guys had an availability today. I guess what did Coach Dimel or anyone else kind of say about what they're expecting from uh, from the old Red Raiders? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he talked about just how fast they play. He kind of opened up with a joke. uh well, they only ran. They were only able to run 96 plays in the yeah. opener, so they didn't get to do too much on offense. Yeah. You know, everybody laughed. Um, you know, just talking about how fast they go, and and what a challenge that's that's going to be, and how they they have to do better on that. And uh, he also, you know, pointed out, you know, said that quarterback. I said, you know, does he look to you like one of the best quarterbacks in the country? He says, you know, just the proofs in the numbers. Yeah, he, said, he looked awfully good, awfully good to me. And, you know, of course, they're talented at receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he he was talking about how it's going to be quite a challenge. And, you know, that's that's pretty easy to identify after UTEP struggles in their opener. Yeah, so I guess uh, for you, Brett, when you kind of look at the offensive to defensive matchups, or I guess if you just want to kind of roll it all into one little general statement, I guess what does UTEP have to do to kind of at least kind of stay close in this game with Texas Tech, a team that, if I'm not mistaken, I believe uh, is favored by 35 points. Yeah, and, you know, just kind of factoring in the over-under, they're supposed to win about 49 to 14. Yeah. I mean, one thing, and, and you know, Demel said this very clearly, was they've got to, uh, you know, hold the ball on offense. As fast as Tech wants to go, UTEP wants to go slow. Yeah. You know, they want to grind out first downs, keep their – keep their offense on the field, keep Tech's offense off it. You know, just kind of, and he says they're going to have to start with the run and then, you know, work to the pass. They'll have to pass efficiently, but it's going to start with the run. And I think it's going to start with them wanting to, wanting to control the ball, control the clock is going to be, you know, that's going to be the key for them because that, uh, you know, I just, it, it's hard to see how they're going to match up if, if the Tech's offense is, is, is you know, on the field as much as we think it's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not for long stretches of time, but, you know, when they're out there, that's such a bad matchup for UTEP. They just try to need to try to keep that offense off the field and 
try to grind out stuff on the, on the ground. And obviously that's going to be harder against Tech than it was against Houston Baptist. Once again, that's Brett Bloomquist of the El Paso Times. Appreciate the time, buddy. All right. He can't wait to come out there on Saturday. Well, I will make sure that you'll enjoy your time in Lubbock, sir. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure I will. Take care. See you a few days. All right. See you, man. Once again, that's another right. edition of the Red Raider podcast. I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. We'll talk to you soon.